Thanks for checking out the City Church Podcast. We are so honored to have you join us, and we hope this message speaks to you in a powerful way. Learn more about City Church by visiting us online at ourcitychurch.org. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. How are we doing? You doing okay this morning? Yeah, good morning. My name is Mike Schnepp, and uh, I'm an executive pastor here at City Church. Really excited to be with you. Our lead pastor, Justin, and his family are just enjoying a few weeks away just for some rest and relaxation, and so I uh, have the great honor of sharing God's Word with you this morning. We are one church in five locations, and so always want to take a moment, say hello to our church family in Bridgeport, Hartford, North Campus, Middletown. Come on, New Haven, let's say hello. As we always do, we are one church. Right now in five locations, really excited about all that God is doing. Uh, The fall has some exciting things, and so we're really looking forward to that. And I am glad that you're here. I'm excited because this morning we start a new sermon series on the life of Nehemiah called Build the City. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be asking the question, how do I build a life of significance? How do I build a life that has has, uh, purpose and vision behind it? All right, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah, and many of you, I know, just said to yourself, Nehu, you know, it's okay, no judgment here, and if I tell you to turn to Nehemiah, you can peek at the table of contents first, that's okay, no judgment. Let me tell you a little bit about who this guy is. Nehemiah was a Jewish man who lived about 500 years before Jesus, and he lived during a time that was incredibly difficult for the Jewish people. Uh, The city of Jerusalem had been invaded. It had been overrun. The walls had been completely destroyed. The temple had been torn down. And all of the people had been taken away to a foreign power that had just run through the city. Several years after that, uh, a different foreign king allowed a group of people to come back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild. And they rebuilt the temple and they began to live in the city. The problem was they never were able to rebuild the wall. Now, a wall doesn't necessarily mean all that much to you and I, but a wall in those days was just as important, if not more important, than your army. Because without a wall, you had all these enemies that could just come through your city and leave it in tatters. And so this is what was happening in Jerusalem. The city was in awful shape. And so this man, Nehemiah, hears about the state of Jerusalem. And the story of the 13 chapters of the book of Nehemiah is is Nehemiah going back to Jerusalem, organizing this wall being built in order that the city could begin to stand on its feet again. And it's this incredible story where he has assassination plots against his life. There's conflict. There's drama. It's a really, really engaging story that we're going to get to in more detail over the next five weeks. But Nehemiah is a man who was able to, by following God's vision for his life and having the purpose that God made him for, leave a legacy long past the life he lived here on earth. And so we're going to this morning be going back to the very beginning. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, you're welcome to read along. It'll be on the screen as well, all right? It says this. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them, considering the Jew who escaped, the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, The remnant there is in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire." As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the Lord of heaven. If you want to take notes this morning, the title of this morning's message is Perfect 
posture. Perfect posture. Let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that each and every time we open it, you have something to say to each and every one of us. So right now, as a people, as a church, and individually, we just pause. We open our hearts to you. And we just say, come, Lord Jesus, would you speak? Holy Spirit, we are utterly dependent on you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you felt it the last time you planned a trip, but you decided on a destination, you hopped on Expedia or Travelocity, and you purchased a flight, and then right after that, your computer pops up with the opportunity to select seats. And I've always found that selecting seats for a flight is a bit like Russian roulette, right? Your computer says, hey, pick the seats you want, and I'm looking there thinking, I'm going to be in this tiny seat for six hours, you're not giving me enough data, all right? Where's the crying baby going to be? Where's the dude who's just going to sneeze into the air without covering his hands? I can't pick my seat without actually knowing who else is going to be around me. This past week, Justin and I flew down to Florida to meet with a a large multi-site church down there and uh, really helpful, picked their brains for a few days. But let me tell you, the game of Russian roulette, I lost, all right? I lost. We're coming back, and it's late. I've been gone for three days. I'm missing my family. It's like 10 o'clock at night, and it's a really quiet, empty flight coming back from Philly. I get onto the plane, I notice that there's plenty of space, and so I think, maybe I'll get a whole row, I'm just going to put my feet out, and so I'm really expectant of that, and I get to where I am, and um, I'm in the window seat, and I notice that there's a guy in the middle, and then this one's empty, and I'm like, all right, this, this could work out, and so I sit down, and uh, I'm just going to call him Gassy Gary, all right, Gassy Gary was sitting next to me. For an hour and a half, he just let me have it, and then finally, I just said, I was like, listen, I'm really sorry about the Indian food that's not agreeing with your stomach right now, but do you think you can just, like, push over? Like, give me a little break here, a little rest, you know? I didn't say it, but I sure thought it the whole time. And I was like, come on, man, give me a break. You know, it never fails. Every single time I fly, I ask myself the question. I look out at the airplane, I look at the runway, and I say, how is this thing actually going to fly? Now, I know there's people smarter than me who are like, well, there's Lyft and Bernoulli's principle. I'm like, that's not what I mean. I mean, like, how is this? This is hundreds, hundreds of thousands of pounds that are going to fly at 30,000 feet. And I ask myself, how does this thing really fly? And I think back to the, the questions that have been asked in similar vein. You know, people have been asking that very same question for hundreds of years now. I think back to the Wright brothers who inevitably looked out at their aircraft, 1903, first in flight, and they looked at it and probably said to themselves, how do we actually get this thing to fly? I love reading about their story because deep into their lives, early on, they had been given a vision for flight. You may not know it, but 25 years before they flew, their dad came home one day, and he had concealed something in his hands, and he said, hey, sons, come over here. And they came over and he threw this object in the air. And rather than the object just falling straight to the ground, it flew across the room. It was made up of bamboo and paper, a little toy called a helicopter. And that day, they said, we're going to figure out how to fly. And I wonder often what it's been like for them to, for 25 years, live with a singular focus that says, we got to figure out how to fly. Hey, buddy, we're going to figure out how to fly. We're going to do this thing. And so for 25 years, living with a singular focus, with a vision for flight burning deep in their hearts. And I just wonder, for you and for me, 
How many of us would say that right now we are living with a vision burning in our hearts that is pointing us in a certain direction? That we sense what our purpose is from God. That we can live with singular focus saying, I know exactly where God has sent me, and I know what I'm supposed to do, and I know how I'm supposed to do it. I'm thinking back on my own life, and I'm reflecting on it this week as I'm preparing this, and I thought of just three visions that are really three purposes that really point me in the same direction day after day. It's to love God supremely. It's to see my wife and my girls in eternity with me. And it's to see New England reignited with the gospel. And I wonder how many of you, if you sat down and opened up your journal, would say, I know what the vision for my life is supposed to be. Now, I've sat with some of you, and I know that for many of us, we don't have a great answer to that question. Some of you here, sure, you say, I know exactly what I'm called to, and if that's you, praise God. This will be a bit of review for you today. But for the rest of us, it just feels like, like we're drifting a little bit. Like we're just kind of drifting through life and we're a little aimless. We don't entirely know where we're supposed to be going. You're 17 and you're expected to know what you want to do with your life and what college you want to go to, and you frankly have no idea. You're 47 and you feel like you're working week after week just to pay the bills, and you're asking the question, is this all there is? You're 67, you just retired after working hard for 40 years, you raised a family, and you're asking yourself, now what? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go and how am I supposed to do it? And the scary part is, when we're honest, we don't even really know what to do about it. We don't even really know how to get purpose. We ask the question, are we just supposed to to stand around and wait for it? Like, okay, God, I'm ready. It's quiet. It's quiet. I'm still not getting anything. Was there actually something we can do? Is there actually something we can do? If you and I right now feel like we're drifting, feel like we're aimless, feel like a life of purpose is for everyone but me, I've got good news. See, as we look at the life of Nehemiah, as we investigate these first four verses, I see that he postured himself in a way that he was ready to receive vision from God. And to posture yourself is is simply just to position yourself in a place that you can get what you're looking for. And so Nehemiah is posturing himself in such a way that when God gives him this vision to rebuild the wall, he's ready for it. And what I want to look at this morning, what I'm excited to share with you is I, I believe that Nehemiah postures himself, he positions himself in three specific ways so that when the time comes that he is supposed to rise up and be given to this purpose of rebuilding the wall, he's ready. He's ready. And that's what I want to look at this morning. All right? Let's take a look at it. What did he do that allowed himself, that prepared himself to be able to hear from God? Let's see what it says. I want you to be honest. How many of you, when you hear the story of Nehemiah, you hear about this man who did this incredible thing, you honestly think to yourself, I could never do that. There's part of me when I hear that that thinks, I don't have what it takes, I don't have the skills, I don't have the leadership ability to actually do that myself. And those three words, before we even get anywhere, need to be addressed. Because the three words, I could never, will be the singularly most halting thing in your life. I could never. You'll never even get out the gate 
if we don't deal with that first. I could never have a good relationship with my kids. I made too many mistakes. I could never get into college. I'm just not smart enough. I could never start that business. I'd never have enough money. I'm never going to get out of debt. I just can't figure out how to do it. I could never share my faith with my mom because she wouldn't hear it. I could never. And the truth is, you will never if you believe that. It's not God limiting you. You're limiting yourself when you give in to the belief that says, I could never. And I just wonder, have you ever considered how God feels about the way you speak about yourself? When those insecurities and those fears rise up, you find them coming out of your mouth, have you ever stopped to reflect on perhaps how God feels about the way you're speaking about his beloved son or his beloved daughter? There's something in us that rises up when we hear someone we love being taken advantage of or being ridiculed or being hurt. There's something in us that says, i got to come to their defense. I need to, I need to take care of what's happening. You know, I've got a three-year-old, and she is spirited and full of life. We'll just say it that way, all right? Spirited and spunky. And every now and then, I'll know that she gave somebody a hard time. And so I'll kind of take her back, and I'll just say, listen, I'm really sorry about that. I know she can be a handful. And the person will be like, yeah, she can be. And I'll be like, what did you say? What, what did you say? I, I was just being agreeable. Watch it. You can't say that. There's something in us that rises up when someone we love is being spoken of in a bad way. Last year, Brittany calls me from work, and she's upset because one of the guys she works with is giving her a hard time. And I about hopped in my car and slashed his tires, all right? Now, I'm way too holy to actually do that, but I considered it for a moment, all right? Instead, I called up her boss, and I was like, hey, what are you going to do about this? This is not acceptable, you know? There is something in us that rises up, and I just wonder when you have the audacity to say, I'm a failure, how does God feel about that? God is looking down saying, I've created you with unique gifts, with amazing talents. You don't know what they are yet, but stop believing the lie that you're not good enough. Stop believing the lie that says, I could never. Read what I've written about you in the scriptures. Believe that it's true. Ephesians 2.10 says it like this, for we are his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That word masterpiece can also be said his workmanship. God has created you uniquely. And I love this about Nehemiah. It's one of the things I so deeply appreciate about him because he got this. And we know he got this because we hear the story about him. And we think to ourselves, where do we expect to find him in the opening pages of the book of Nehemiah? I would expect to find him graduating from the ancient Near East School of Management or coming out of 10 years being a captain in the army. But instead, if you'll skip down a few verses, it tells us where he is. It says this. He finishes verse 11. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. Cupbearer. That, that's kind of a weird word. We don't know what that means. You're in church, and so you're probably thinking, is that the dude who, during communion, holds the, holds the juice I'm dipping my thing into? That, no, that's not a cupbearer. A cupbearer was a position in those days where you were basically a slave. You were a slave to a king. And so every time that the king wanted to taste food or taste drink, you had to taste it first to make sure it wasn't poisoned. 
And so you were literally tied to this king. Wherever he went, you went. Whenever he wanted a late night snack, you got up and tasted it first. Okay? He is a Jewish slave in a foreign land when we meet him. If anyone could say, I could never take care of that wall, it was Nehemiah. We don't know that he had the training. We don't know that he had the skills. He is a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. And yet that doesn't stop him. That doesn't stop him. The thought of I could never, never even seems to cross his mind. See, so many of us, we put a period where God wants us to put a comma. In your own strength, maybe you could never, comma, but in Christ you can do all things. Philippians 4 tells us that. See, God wants us to adjust our mindset. When we look at a life of purpose, it's always going to seem too big for us. And if you put a period saying, I could never do that, I could never accomplish that, you're not going to. If you replace it with a comma that said, God, I don't know that, I don't know how I could ever do that, comma, but with you, I believe it'll happen. You have finally opened yourself to being able to be used by God. In a profound way. I love that when Nehemiah hears about the wall, we don't hear him push back or kind of flinch back and go, God, I I don't don't even know what I could do about that. I'm too far away. No. We just see him begin to take steps forward. You know, you've probably heard that no snowflake is unique. Or that every snowflake is unique. And I often wonder, why does God do that? Why does God build such intentionality into his creation? And I believe it's because he wants to send us a a message through nature. That just as every single snowflake is unique, so too are we. We have been designed and created with a unique gift and purpose. In Christ, you have all you need. And it's time for us to stop allowing insecurities and comparisons to define the way we see ourselves and begin to allow the truth of God's word to be the declaration of who we are. And it's true that right now you might not have everything you need to accomplish what God is going to put in front of you, but you need to remember that God is a God of process. God is constantly growing us and shaping us and stretching us and giving us the things and the tools that we will need been said that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. You right now are being equipped for the call of God on your life. The question is, are you allowing yourself to do so? We see this all throughout the scriptures. Think back to David. We hear about the story with David and Goliath, and we hear this incredible story about him taking down this giant, this enemy. And then we hear about him taking down a lion. And then we hear about him taking down a bear before that, and undoubtedly a wolf and other things when he was a shepherd. God was strengthening him and growing him so that when the time came to slay Goliath, he was ready because he had been prepared. He had been going through the process. Last week when we were down in Florida, we spent time with a leader named Jonathan who oversees this massive school of ministry. And it's, it's incredible. It's cranking out godly leaders in a, in a really powerful way. We asked him, what was one of the most profound things you did to prepare yourself for where you're at right now? And he said, honestly, I was the assistant to the senior pastor for 10 years. I drove him around in his car. I went out to him. I went out with lunch with him. And every time he sat there on the phone and had a hard conversation, I just listened in. And I learned. And I learned about various leadership principles. 
And so when it was my time to step in, I didn't even realize it, but that seemingly menial task of being an assistant was the very thing that gave me the tools I needed. That when it was time to open up this leadership school, I was ready. I was ready. God's about process. Process. And I wonder if that happened with Nehemiah too. Being around the king all this time, I don't know whether or not he picked it up, but I do know that when his moment came, he doesn't shrink back. He doesn't shrink back. Why? Because he had postured himself with confidence. And this is the first thing he does. The first position, the first posture. It's the posture of confidence that says this. God is with me. God is with me. Because I just wonder, what would have happened if in that moment he hears about the wall and he does shrink back and he lacks confidence in who God is? Does he even ever take that next step? Probably not. Probably not. The posture of confidence says, God is with me. And let me just do a quick aside here. You know, if on one end of the spectrum, there are many of us who struggle with the I could never, there are some of us who struggle with the, I'll call it the, oh, I got this. All right, the, oh, I got this. You're here and you have a real sense for where God is calling you. Praise God for that. I like to think of vision or calling a lot like graduation. There's all these years that lead up to it. There's first grade and third grade and ninth grade, 10th, 11th, and then finally you're walking across that stage wearing a silly looking hat, square in shape, getting the diploma after years and years and years of work. But the problem is for some of us, when it comes to God giving us a vision for our lives, we're 12 years old walking on stage asking God to give us the diploma and he's saying, you haven't even been through seventh grade yet. I got some things I want to teach you in eighth grade and then we'll talk about ninth and then 10th and 11th, and we're sitting back frustrated that God's not releasing us to the next season, and we don't realize it's actually his mercy, because we're not ready yet. And so you're sitting here frustrated. God wants to say to you, it's time for the process, and when the time is right, I'm going to release that thing to you. I'm going to open up that door that you've been praying about, but you need to lean in. You need to be faithful with the little things so I can teach you what you need to know, so that when the time comes, you're ready. Trust the process. Trust the process, all right? Let's keep moving. We're going to, yeah, amen. Yeah, we'll pick the story back up. It says this. Now we're getting into it. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, we read this a minute ago, but in the 20th years, I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them, considering the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. I want to take a poll in the room. How many of you have a hard time keeping up with people who move away? Come on, I know there's some of us. Hard time keeping up with people who move away. I'm really terrible at this. I've got family who lives around the country and I constantly feel guilty. All right? Sometimes it just feels like with the, the craziness of life, the hustle and bustle, that they just kind of slip out of mind a little bit. And so if you're here and we're friends and you move away, I'm really sorry. All right? In advance. I love you. Don't be offended. There's something about the grind of day-to-day life that makes it hard for us to ever pull back. To ever begin to ask some of these bigger questions of God again. You're here. You're just trying to pass AP chemistry. Your kids are on seven different travel soccer teams. You're working 70 hours a week. You're just trying to keep the plates spinning. And I just wonder, when was the last time you got away and you climbed a mountain where the street noise began to just die down and you let your head peek above the clouds a little bit 
You ask God the question once more, God, what do you have for me? God, my life is set on this course right now, but is it the right one? God, I'm devoting so much time and energy and attention to these things. Are these the right things? See, it's easy for us to just get our heads down and stop asking those big questions. And I imagine with Nehemiah's duties on call 24-7, living in the capital of a foreign nation a thousand miles away from Jerusalem, it would have been incredibly easy for him to just kind of put it out of mind. To just say, man, I'm busy enough trying to keep up with the king's travels, trying to keep up with everything going on. I don't really even have time to worry about Jerusalem. But not so. After all this time away, we don't even know if he's ever been to Jerusalem. He's still wondering about it. He's still praying about it. He's still seeking God about it. And this is what we see. And I'm convinced that for many of us, God is trying to speak to us, maybe even this morning, about a a course he wants us to go on, about a purpose he has for us. And we've just stopped asking. And we're not hearing. And this morning, it's not meant to be a condemnation. It's meant to be a fresh invitation from God to ask those questions again, to check in. You know, what would have happened if when Nehemiah's brother had come and he never even asked about the city of Jerusalem? He never even bothered hearing that the walls had been torn down. I doubt he would have ever pressed forward because he wouldn't even have known about it. You wouldn't have even had known what was going on. And I know this is a struggle for us. I know that life moves at a crazy fast pace. It does so for us, and so we're constantly battling this. So what I've had to do is in my own personal time, I've had to schedule this in. You know, I try and sit down at the beginning of the month and just plan out, like, my time with God for the rest of the month. And I plan in time where it's like, I just want to be quiet before you. God, I just want to listen to your voice. I want to make sure that I'm on the right track. Maybe for you, when you sit down with a friend and you say, hey, what's God been teaching you lately? God uses that to light up your heart and keep you moving in the right direction. I don't know what you have to do, but it takes persistence. It takes dedication. And this is the second thing about Nehemiah that I so appreciate. We're going to call it the the posture of persistence. It's that devotion defeats complacency. Because I'm convinced that if he hadn't had this, he would have totally missed the opportunity because he wouldn't have even known about it. His brother would have come, they would have had dinner, and he would have left, and the moment would have passed him by. But he stayed hungry. He stayed persistent about the things of God. The posture of persistence. Devotion defeats complacency. Lastly, after hearing this, what do we see as his response? Seems like a grand response, right? As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We have to ask ourselves the question, why did this move the heart of Nehemiah in such a profound way? Well, have you ever noticed the closer you get to someone, the more you begin to understand the things that bother them, the things that, that kind of make them agitated, you know? My wife and I have been together for 15 years now, and before meeting her, I didn't know that the toilet seat up and the toilet seat down was even a thing, all right? I thought it was just like, listen, it's agreement, right? I put it up, you put it down. And, but I have learned that God built into nature it's man's responsibility, all right? You're going to put it up and you're going to put it down. All right? The women are clapping. 
But I didn't even know that at first. And now, if you come to my house and leave it up, I'm like, what are you, raised by wolves? Get out of my house. Like, you barbarian. There's something I learned along the way. The closer you get to someone, the more you realize what bothers them, and your heart begins to move in that direction as well. Maybe you've had someone in your community group, and you just met him. But over the weeks, he began to share about his son and how his son is battling an illness. And you found that every time you see him, you have to ask, how's your son doing? And you've never even met the son, but because you love him, you've begun to just move in that direction, and your heart is tied, and you want to do things. You, you want to figure out how you can help. It wasn't long ago I was, I was at the hospital visiting a, a couple here at the church who had just lost one of their babies during pregnancy. And I'm there sitting with them. I've, I, I don't know them particularly well, but I've come to love them in, in a serious way. And I'm just crying with them. Why? Because I love them. Your heart begins to move when you get closer with someone. You begin to care about the things that they care about. And it's the same with God. It's not trivial things like toilet seats or whatever. It's things when it happens to his people. When there's the burdened and the oppressed, God's heart is breaking. God's heart is saying, we got to do something about that. It's when he sees sons and daughters he's created living far from him. His heart is breaking. And as you begin to get closer and closer with him, you're going to find your heart breaking about the same things. And we see this in Nehemiah. He had cultivated such a deep relationship with God that when he hears about the wall, he says, I won't accept this. Not because I know people in Jerusalem, but because I know you, God. And because this grieves your heart, it grieves mine. He wept and mourned and fasted for days. Why? Because it was breaking God's heart that the city of Jerusalem and its inhabitants were in such disarray. What would have happened if if he wasn't walking close with God and he wasn't sensing the things that God cared about? His brother might have told him about what was happening. And he would have just said... Bummer. Hope somebody's going to do something about that. And went on his way. But he gets encaptured by this vision. Because he's walking close with God. Because he's sensing his heart. His vision for the wall grabs a hold of him. And this is the third way that he postured himself. We're going to call it the posture of intimacy. That burden comes through relationship burden comes through relationship, perhaps without even realizing it. Nehemiah had perfectly positioned himself to be ready for God to speak to him, to be ready for God to give him a new purpose, for God to say, here is the thing that I've created you for. And he didn't miss it. He didn't miss it. Because he had confidence in who God was, he didn't shrink back when he heard the need. Because he was constantly pushing forward into his relationship with him, being persistent. He was asking when he needed to be asking. Because he was walking closely with him, when he heard about the need, his heart moved in such a deep way. And God created in him a divine burden that set the trajectory for the rest of his life. Stand together. I know for many of you, you're here and you're not yet convinced. You're not yet convinced that this is something worth pursuing, something worth giving your life to. 
And some of us are convinced you still don't have what it takes. That you're not ready. That God didn't give you those gifts. Hear the words of Jeremiah 1.5 spoken over you this morning. It says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my spokesman to the world. This is for you this morning. you got to hear this. God says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my spokesman to the world. Before you were ever born, God knew you. God created you uniquely with a purpose and a design and it's time for you to step into it. There is no one in this entire world with your DNA who came from your parents born in this time in the place you were born and God has purpose for your life and you were designed and created to live a life of vision. God has created you unique and he has a unique call on your life. It is in my mind one of the greatest tragedies this side of eternity to be missing out on the things God has designed it us, designed us to do. There is no one with your strengths. There is no one with your inclinations. There is no one with your exact wiring. And in such, there is no one who will accomplish what God has designed you alone to accomplish. Vision fulfills the purpose that God has designed for you. You ask yourself the question, man, it's kind of a nice pep talk and all, but does it really matter? I mean, can't I just kind of cruise through life and just do my thing? Why do I have to put in the work of pursuing this? Why do I have to go through the trouble Nehemiah didn't know it at the time, but his project was much more than a wall. See, there was a prophet named Daniel who had prophesied that from the moment the instruction for the wall to be built was given, that 483 years from that moment, the Messiah would come. That very same instruction that Nehemiah went to the king and got, the very instruction that he wept and mourned about, ended up being the very thing that ushered in the coming of Christ. And 483 years later, Jesus came riding into that same city of Jerusalem on a donkey where he would give his life for all mankind. That for men and women like you and me, once he created and loved, he would allow them to hang him up on a tree, the very tree he probably designed in creation, in order that your sin and my sin would be paid for in order that we would have the freedom to live a life where we're reconciled with the Father because three days later, He's risen from the dead. And God says, I don't look at you in your sin anymore. I, on that day, defeat death and sin. And God looks at you and looks at me, and because of our faith in Christ, He sees the perfection of Jesus. That's the great news of the gospel. And Nehemiah ushered that in by being faithful to what God had called him to. By being faithful to what God called him to, he stepped into God's cosmic story. 
you're here and you think, my life is ordinary. Man, I'm raising kids. I'm working this job. My life isn't special. You know, Nehemiah built a wall. It looked like stone and mortar and wood. And yet it was the very thing that God used to usher in Christ. And you need to know that this morning God wants to take what looks ordinary in your life and use it to usher Jesus into the hearts of those around you. You have been perfectly placed in that workplace. You have been given those kids you've been given. You're in that classroom surrounded by people don't, who don't know Jesus. Why? Because he puts you there. And God wants to give you vision and purpose for those people. That because of you, they would come to know him. That because of you, they would come to see that God loves them. That he's got a plan for their life. And it's not good enough to not ask the question. Because they need you to ask the question. They need you to chase down that vision God has for you. Because if not you, then who? And when you step forward in courage, and you do the things that you need to do in order to say yes to God when the moment is here, you too can step into the story that God has been designing through your life and that God has from before creation purposed that you would step into. And I just wonder, as I said earlier, it's not a condemnation. It's an invitation from him. And God asks you the question this morning, will you step in? Will you step into my story? Will you allow me to use you in the way that I've created you to be used. Will you step in? Yeah, you're going to have to sacrifice. Yeah, you're going to have to move some things around. Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. You'll probably be afraid and nothing will be more glorious. There's nothing more powerful than watching somebody live right in the lane that God has created them to live. And you will never regret it because there's nothing better. And so I wonder this morning, Will you step in? Let's pray. Jesus, right now, we ask for courage. We ask for vision. God, we believe that in each and every one of us, you have crafted something special. And perhaps it's been buried through the years with things other people have spoken over us. It's been buried through the years when we failed and not gotten back up. But God, today we stand up again. And we say the things that you have created us for, we are ready for. God, this idea of building a life of purpose, we don't want to settle for anything less. Nothing else is good enough than your best. And so Jesus, right now, we step in. Even as we sing right now, we lift our voices and in our hearts we say yes to you. We say yes. We take a step forward in faith saying, God, whatever it is that you have, I say yes. I say yes. Yeah. Let's sing. City Church seeks to reach New England and beyond with the life-transforming message of Jesus. If you have been impacted by this message or the ministry of City Church, you can help us continue to reach others by giving today at ourcitychurch.org give. For more information on how to get involved, 
visit us online or at any social media platform at Our City Church. We always appreciate you taking the time to rate or review this message on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to the City Church Podcast.